My name's Joey. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met before, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll hang out up front on the right. Um, this week is our first week back in our series through the book of Luke. If you were here before Lent, you'll remember uh, that we've systematically been going through the book of Luke. And the beginning, the first part of our series, we called it Jesus, the Early Years. Uh, and now as we enter back in uh, to the book of Luke, we're going to be calling this uh, part of the sermon series, the part two of it, the first followers of Jesus. Um, be, uh, how about you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 31. As you turn there, I'll tell you a little bit more about the series, and I'll remind you of where we've been and where we're going uh, before we start our passage today. So as we look at the first followers of Jesus, our goal is to see how Jesus built an unstoppable movement. And we're going to invite you to join us in that study every Sunday to look through the Gospel of Luke and learn how Jesus amazed and how he called his very first followers. You'll remember last week we celebrated Easter together. We saw the finished product, right? We saw the victory. We saw the sacrifice and now we're going to go back and get to see how it was done, how he amazed and started an unstoppable movement. So as we pick up back today in Luke chapter 4, verse 31, I want to remind you where we were. Uh, if you were here in February, we had just finished talking about the temptation of Jesus, where the devil takes Jesus into the, or Jesus goes into the wilderness and he is tempted by the devil, and the devil tempts Jesus in this way. He says, I will give you all the authority, all the power, all the splendor that's been given to me if you just bow down and worship me. And the devil further tempts Jesus by taking him to the top of the temple and saying, Jesus, if you jump off the top of the temple, if you command your angels to carry you and hold you, it will show your power and that you truly are the Son of God. It would prove it. And when he can't win, Satan leaves Jesus until an opportune time. And then you'll remember that right after that, our final week that we were in Jesus, the early years, was Jesus returning back to his hometown. He goes back to Nazareth, filled with power, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins sharing the good news with them in the synagogue, right? He goes to Nazareth, not just any good news, but the good news of Christ's kingdom that was coming, that was here now with Jesus, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And he taught them with authority in his teaching. He taught them that he was the Messiah. He was the Holy One of God, the one that they'd been waiting for. And what did they do? They rebuked him. They rejected him. They drove him out of town to the edge of a cliff with a plan to throw him off the edge. Kind of similar to how Satan tempted Jesus. So they had a plan to throw him off the cliff and Jesus walked right through the crowd, right through their mists, and went on his way to never come back to Nazareth. So today we're going to look at the first followers of Jesus. We've caught you up to where we were. Here's where we are now. We're going to see how Jesus began to build this unstoppable movement. And today it's going to be by rebuking. Jesus rebukes. 
And we'll see how he does that with authority, with power, but also with compassion. So it's my prayer that by the time we're finished today, you'll see how we're all affected by the fall. We're affected spiritually and we're affected physically. That you'd see how we seek healing all over the place. But what we really need is Jesus to heal us. And that once he does heal us, he uses us to tell others the good news. Because changed people follow and tell others. If you're able, would you stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's word? This is the word of the Lord from the book of Luke, chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not, let them, would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving, from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're good and that you love us. We thank you that you have all authority, that you have all power, and that you still have compassion towards us. We ask that we would see you today. In seeing you, we would know you. And in knowing you, we would love you because you first loved us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus begins to build his unstoppable movement by rebuking, rebukes with authority, he rebukes with power, and he rebukes with compassion. I'm going to read verse 31 again as we look at how Jesus rebukes with authority. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. He went down to Capernaum. Verse 30 and 31 kind of gloss over what I'll call our first rebuke. It's a subtle rebuke, but it's the rebuke of Nazareth. You remember I said Jesus never returned there again. There's nothing 
recorded in Scripture of him returning to his hometown. Because like he said, if you remember in February, a prophet isn't accepted in his hometown. So Jesus goes on his way and he goes down to Capernaum. He leaves quietly, never to return. So he moves to his new base of operation, Capernaum, a town that's a strategic town. It's strategic because it's a trading town. It's a town that's built on a trade route and there's lots of foreigners there. It's no longer this small Jewish town that Jesus is in. His new base of operations is a town that has Jews as well as Gentiles. It has people coming in and out, traveling all the time. It's a place that Jesus knows would be good for spreading his good news, the good news of his kingdom. And what does he do when he gets there? Well, as is his custom, he goes to the synagogue and he teaches them on the Sabbath. It's similar to what we saw in Nazareth. You can imagine him opening the scroll and reading from Isaiah and telling the people that he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And Jesus goes to the synagogue and he does just that, what he's been doing. And this time in Capernaum, he's doing it in such a way that the people, the religious people who are there, are rebuked. Again, softly, gently, but they're rebuked. He doesn't come in and quote a bunch of Pharisees or scribes because that was kind of the custom at the time. The custom at the time was to come in and preach speculation, preach doubt, and your authority was a rabbi who had said it. Well, this rabbi says this, and this rabbi says that, and this rabbi says this, so therefore this. That was what it was like in the day and age. You had to cite your sources, but your sources were some other rabbi who had said such and such a thing. Well, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't follow the custom. He doesn't come in and use other authorities to back up his arguments. He doesn't come in and call the people out. He comes in and preaches a sermon about the Son of God, the one who would come. It's not what he does. He doesn't come in and open the scrolls and teach a feel-good sermon or tell people what they want to hear. He just comes in. And he opens the scrolls and he teaches straight from scriptures and he rebukes the religious with his teaching. And verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. They're amazed. They're astonished. This man teaches the scriptures well enough that he could have wrote them. He's not speculating. He's not teaching with doubt. He doesn't rely on other people's authority He teaches with so much authority. This authority seems to be his own. Who is this man? Well, don't worry, they're about to find out, right? Verse 33 and 34. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. A man with a demon is there to let them know who Jesus is. I know who you are, Jesus. The Messiah, the Holy One of God. 
Don't miss the detail there. Satan takes over a man with a demon. And where does he take him? To a graveyard? To a scary haunted house? To a deep, dark woods? No, he takes him to church. Satan takes over a man with a demon, and he takes him to church. A demon whose sole mission is to resist God. And the demon knows who Jesus is. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows that Jesus is going to win. That he'll ultimately defeat sin and death. And what's that demon's concern? Have you come to destroy us? He's scared. He's trembling. It wasn't a question of if Jesus would do it, right? The demon knew Jesus was going to do it eventually. The question was when. The demon's trembling in the presence of Jesus. He's like, are you going to destroy me right now? Or do I have some more time? Right? Verse 35. But Jesus rebukes him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. With authority, Jesus rebukes the demon. Remember that teaching I just taught you? I could hear Jesus saying, Remember how I told you I'm the Holy One of God, that I taught you through scriptures, the Messiah who has come to save, to rescue the oppressed, to set captives free, to finally defeat sin and death? Here's my sermon illustration. I have the authority. Be silent and come out of him. Jesus showed them that he was the Son of God. And what does the demon do? He obeys quickly and joyfully. That demon is ready to get out of there. He obeys so quickly and joyfully. He's happy to leave the presence of the Holy One of God. Verse 36 and 37. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The people see this crazy thing happen. They see his authority to command even the spiritual, that the demons are commanded by his very word, and they're amazed. They tell others. And they go and they spread the news of this man to surrounding villages. Now this sounds a little bit crazy to us, I feel like. At least to me, right? It's hard for me to relate to a passage like this sometimes because I'm distracted from the spiritual all the time. And to be honest with you, I think our culture is a culture that's distracted from the spiritual all the time. And we're so focused on everything else that we feel like, sure, it's real, but... That was back then, right? It seems so disconnected from our day-to-day life. After all, Satan would never send a demon into the church nowadays, right? Well, I've heard, I haven't talked to a million missionaries, but I've talked to some, and I've heard that if you talk to a missionary, uh, someone who lives in another culture, you'll hear them say that there's actually, uh, it's still more real to many people. Uh, A lot of people live in a spiritual reality every day, and they can see the way God works, and they can see the way that Satan works more. And on our trip uh, to Guatemala over spring break, we got to see a little picture of that. I'll show you. I have a picture of the team, uh, and in this picture, you'll see 
that uh, in the far back you'll see like a yellow building. That's like the town square where the village elders meet and the governors meet. And then just to the left of that, there's like a peachish building. That's the school, two-story building with that little catwalk walkway. Um, and there's our team, a few of people from our team, standing uh, with a group of the boys that we did some of our ministry to when we were in Guatemala. What you can't see in that picture is on top of all the buildings, they have water tanks um, because they only get water a couple times a week. Actually, I think they only get water one time a week. Um, so running water only comes to the village up in the little hill, this village of about 2,000 families once a week, and they all fill up every container they have, every water tank they have. Well, we're coming to the school, and part of our mission, our, our job that we decide to do in order to find a way to get an inroad uh, in this middle school is to teach the boys basketball. And we're going to teach the boys basketball uh, they've never seen a basketball hoop. They've never played with a basketball before. They love playing soccer. And instead, we're going to come and teach them this new skill so that every day we have the ability to share the good news of Jesus and his kingdom with them. So we come to do that, and we planned ahead. You can tell the court, uh, if you could even call it that, is a dirt um, field. I don't know, a dirt, what would be the word? Just ground. It's dirt. Uh, and it got very dusty, and we knew that it would. And so we planned ahead, and we talked to the principal of the school and asked her to order extra water for that week and that we'd pay for the extra water. Uh, and we came, and the first day we had our lessons, we got the hose, we hooked it up, and we were using the water from the tank and watering, and it stayed kind of uh, a little more mellow. There was less dust around. Uh, you can see in this picture that it doesn't look that dusty because you can see the clouds. It actually, God helped us um, that day keep the dust down. Um, but it worked well the first day. Our plan was working. And the second day we show up, we hook up the hose, and we go to start watering the dirt. And it's just spitting just a little bit of water out of the hose. And we're like, ooh, this is going to be a long day. It's going to be dusty. We're going to just be breathing in all this dust. What's going on? So I'm trying to fiddle with it, and the rest of the team's getting started. And finally, I can't figure out why there's not a lot of water coming out. So I go find the principal, and I ask the principal, I say, hey, do you know what's going on with the water? Did we make a mistake and use too much water yesterday? Is the school out of water? Will you be able to flush your toilets? Um, and the principal tells me, no, actually, you did fine. There's no water because after you guys left yesterday, some of the kids heard a ghost in the bathroom. And so they started yelling at the ghost who was in the bathroom, and then they picked up rocks and they started throwing rocks at the bathroom and the whole village started to hear the commotion and they came out to try and figure out what was going on and the kids told them it was a ghost and I'm sure it's just silly, but then the whole village elders came together and they had a village meeting to decide what to do about this ghost that's in the school that maybe you guys brought with you from the United States, right? So their whole village is freaking out over this ghost that's in the school after we left from the first day. And the boys who had originally heard the ghost figured that the elders of the village weren't doing enough. And so they climbed on top of the roof. They opened up the water tanks, flooded the school in order to drown the ghosts and get them to leave the school, right? I know it sounds a little silly, and I'm not saying that there was necessarily a demon in the school when we were there to share the gospel. What I am saying is Satan used their belief in the spiritual, um, their belief in the dead, to distract the living from a living king, right? And that's what he does, and I think that's what he was doing here, and that's what he does with us, right? We don't see 
this craziness because that's not the way our culture works quite the same, right? But Satan uses what he can, what our belief is in, in order to distract us, the living, from a living king. In this passage that we read today, that we're reading today, who acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God? The demon or the people? The demon knows, right? He knows, and what's his question to Jesus? Will you destroy me? And don't sit there today in your sin and fail to ask the Lord, will you destroy me? Repent, because he wants to rebuke your sin, like he rebuked that demon. And do you believe? Do you have faith like a demon? Do demons shout louder than you proclaim the name of Jesus? That he is the Messiah? Do you obey? What about your obedience to this Messiah, to God's commands? Do you obey as quickly and as joyfully as a demon does? See, the religious people, they were impressed and amazed by Jesus' authority in his teaching, but also by his authority and his rebuke of that demon, the power that he had over the spiritual, because Jesus rebuked with power. I'm going to read verse 38 again. And he arose and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So Jesus leaves the religious, and he goes to be with what will be one of his disciples. He goes to his home, As they've already seen Jesus work, they've already seen him cast out demons. They know his authority and his power. And so they show up to Simon Peter's house. And when he arrives, when Jesus arrives, Simon Peter's mother is sick. She's sick with high fever. And it's not just a little fever, right? Do you remember Luke, the author of this text, what his profession was? He was a physician, a doctor, right? So when he says high fever, he's saying it with the knowledge of a physician, of a doctor. And again, like we were talking about um, spiritual things, we look at health sometimes from the lens of the present, right? But think back even just a hundred years ago, how deadly having a fever was. So Jesus enters this home and the men appeal to Jesus. They come to Jesus with their hurt and they plead for him to heal. They plead on her behalf. They come to Jesus. Verse 39, He stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Jesus stands over her and he rebukes the fever? He rebukes a virus? The virus inside of her, he rebukes with power And it obeys just as quickly as that demon obeyed immediately. It leaves her. And what does she do? She immediately gets up and serves Jesus. It wasn't some slow healing. Jesus said, okay, she's healed now. Um, Thanks for bringing her to me. Give her three days of bed rest and then she'll, she'll be fine. Or it wasn't a, I'm the God of the universe. I know that she'll be healed in a week and a half. So, It's next Tuesday, so just hold off until then, and she'll be healed, right? No, Jesus didn't do that. He sees that she's sick, and he heals her immediately. He rebukes 
the virus that's inside of her. He rebukes it. He heals her with power and she's immediately healed and she gets up. She serves him. She serves Jesus. Verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now when the sun was setting, what's happened? What is the sun setting trigger that day? Sabbath is over. And you'll remember from some stories that you've probably heard further on in in the series that we'll be at, you know, we'll get here eventually, but you've found that what was a big no-no was healing on the Sabbath, right? So these people were probably in the temple. They probably saw Jesus' authority in his teaching, his authority over the demon to cast out the demon. And they thought, man, if he can do that, surely he can heal but today's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. So maybe we can wait till the sun sets, right? So the sun sets and they find where Jesus is and they go to Simon Peter's house and they hear, well, he's healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So we know that she's been sick for a long time. So let's go out and get everyone we can find who's sick and bring them to Jesus. And they run to Jesus with them and he heals them all from all kinds of sickness. They didn't all come with the same exact type of fever, and he happened to know how to heal that type of fever, they came with all kinds of sickness. And he heals them all. Imagine Jesus sitting there all night as everyone in town comes, one after the other. He's sick with this, healed. He's sick with this, healed, right? He's the true healer who sat with the sick. All the kinds that were brought to him, he heals them all. Verse 41, And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Oh, by the way, remember the demon in the synagogue that Jesus cast out, that he rebuked? Yeah, there were others. Jesus rebukes them too with his authority and power. Those ones, yeah, they proclaimed Jesus was the Messiah too. It's kind of like an afterthought, right? Like, oh yeah, and a bunch of demons came out too uh, while Jesus was healing them. And oh yeah, he wouldn't, Uh, let them speak either, right? But this healing here, healing of all kinds, Jesus didn't specialize in just one, right? He couldn't just, if your leg was longer than the other leg, he could fix that problem, right? He wasn't some faith healer or some false healer. Jesus was the real deal. He didn't charge admission to get into Simon Peter's house. He didn't have just one specialty. He didn't use a magic incantation or some holy water because he's the true healer. Jesus is the true healer who has power over the physical. Viruses obey him. His words, they obeyed him. The spiritual obey him. He has authority over the spiritual. Demons obey him. His enemy obeys his very word. Do you run to Jesus like that? With your hurt? With your sickness? With your pain? Or do you seek healing in other places? If you've been healed, do you go find all your friends and bring them to the true healer? Do you take the ones who are sick and bring them to Jesus? See, what Jesus is doing, and I said it earlier, is he's giving an example of what his kingdom looks like. 
when everything is ultimately restored, where sin, the root cause of demons, the root cause of sickness and death, is defeated and destroyed, where he is king. Jesus was the real deal, and he showed it to them. He said, here's my sermon. I am the Messiah. Let me show you. Rebuke demons. Rebuke sickness. He showed it to them. And what did they do? They fell in love with his kingdom, with what his kingdom would look like, instead of with the king, the king who rebukes with compassion. Jesus rebukes with compassion. Luke 4.42 And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Man, what a day Jesus had, right? He's gaining fame. He started showing himself as the Messiah. He's begun his public ministry. He's showing people what the kingdom of God would look like. He's proclaiming that it's starting to be fulfilled here today. He stayed up all night healing everyone in town who was sick. And he's ready to move on to the next town. And when the people find out that the man who had been casting out demons, the man who could heal any sickness, is going away from them, is going to leave town. When they saw that peace of his kingdom, they wanted to keep him right there. They saw what true authority and true power could do, what a true king could do. And they begged him to stay. But Jesus gently rebukes him. Just like he gently rebuked the religious in the synagogue, just like he gently rebuked Nazareth as he left. I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns. That's why I was sent, he says. That's why the Holy One of God is here to show you a glimpse of what the real kingdom looks like. He rebukes them, but he rebukes them with compassion. He doesn't rebuke them like he rebuked the demon. Be quiet and leave. He doesn't rebuke them like he rebuked the fever with just one word. He rebukes them with love. Don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? In that last section where he's healing all night long, that's more like the rebuke that they get here today, right? Did you catch it when... We were in Simon Peter's mother-in-law's, uh, in Simon Peter's house, and he healed his mother-in-law, and then all of them come. And he has all authority. He has all power. He's already rebuked and cast out demons with just his words. He's rebuked and cast out fear, viruses with just his words. And then this big crowd of people comes, a crowd that's going to take him all night to heal. And he knows that. And what does he do? All right, hold town, you're healed. Right? He could have done it with his words. We know he could have. We saw that proof already. But there's this queue of people waiting to be healed. He could have filled them all with just a word. But instead, what does he do? He looks at each one of them. He touches each one of them. Lays his hands on them. Stoops down to them in their sickness. 
He compassionately touches each and every one of them and heals them. Compassionate rebuke. That's what Jesus was about. He's there to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that sin and all of its effects would be defeated. That he was the Messiah who would do just that. And while he was doing that, he couldn't help but bend down in compassion and set captives free on his way to show what his kingdom would really look like. And then he went on preaching like this, doing this very thing all over, showing his authority, showing his power, showing his compassion, showing people in the same way that he was the Son of God. When I think of the compassionate Jesus, I often think of Matthew 19, of Jesus caring for the least of these. I'm reminded of a time when Jesus is working and he's discussing with his disciples and he's in the middle of a day of ministry and these kids come up to try and get Jesus to pray for him. Maybe they've been following Jesus and seeing all the works that he had done. Uh, Maybe they were bugging the disciples because they wouldn't just stay away or give him some space. Um, Maybe those kids were just not being good enough. Maybe they were too curious. Maybe they wanted to uh, be around Jesus all the time and the disciples just couldn't handle it. Maybe they were climbing on the top of school and opening a water tank and flooding the school to get the ghost out, right? Um, But what did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. I can just picture the disciples. They're trying to keep all the parents with the children back. They're trying to make sure everyone's minding their business and they're minding their manners and they're sitting still enough in the sanctuary during the sermon and that they're not being too loud or too distracting. Please, please go away. Jesus is too busy today. But what does Jesus do? Full of compassion, he looks at them and he says, let the little children come to me for such the kingdom of heaven belongs to And what does he do there? He lays his hands on them and he prays for them. Do you try and keep Jesus to yourself? Do you try and keep him from leaving you? I know this sounds a little weird. Do you try and keep yourself in control, I guess, of where he is and what he's doing? Again, sounds silly. Sounds weird. We don't do that, right? But think about it. Do you hide him from others? From your co-workers? Do they know about this Jesus who's healed you? From your friends? They don't need me to show them what Jesus is like. They don't need me to help them see Jesus. Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe they'll just think I'm weird, right? Man, if you serve a Jesus who can really heal like this, wouldn't you say something about it to them? Wouldn't they know? See, we're all affected by the fall. We're affected spiritually. We're affected physically. And we seek healing all over the place. But what we really need is Jesus to heal us. And once he does, he uses us to tell others that same good news. Because changed people follow and changed people tell others. If you've experienced the most profound change physically And spiritually, if you've met the Holy One of God, the Messiah, 
then you would tell everyone about it. You'd climb up on that rooftop and shout it from the rooftops. But if you haven't met that Jesus, turn to him. Call out to him. Ask him, will you destroy me? Because he wants to rebuke your sin. If you want to know what that healer's like, when we finish here in just a minute, there'll be a couple up front on the right-hand side, and they'd love to talk to you more about this Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have all authority and all power. We thank you that you showed us that through your Son, who was filled with Holy Spirit power, who spoke with authority, who spoke with power, who loved us compassionately. We ask that you would help us to turn to the ultimate healer of our physical and of our spiritual. We ask that you would help us to trust you more and more. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.